Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marks and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome everybody to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. And my guest this time around is horror author C.S. Aline. C.S. has enjoyed a lifelong love of reading with a particular fascination with the supernatural and death. Her vacations usually include visits to such places as the catacombs in Paris, the tombs in Egypt, the Pope's crypts in the Vatican, and any churchyard with gravestones. Her debut novel, Bellevue, will be published on August 25th, so just in a couple of weeks here. It's being published by Crystal Lake Publishing. So welcome to the show, CS. How you doing? Very well, thank you. And um, I, it's good to be here with you. It, it, it's a pleasure to have you as well. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. I wasn't going to say anything, but I figure... Uh, you know, the, the the listeners deserve to know, this isn't our first attempt to record this conversation. No, it's not. <laughs> we, uh, we did this, uh, I, I want to say about a month ago, and we had a, a lovely chat for about an hour. They would have loved it. They would have been very happy with that, with that, with that conversation, except uh, <laughs> somebody... Somebody, I won't say who, but somebody uh, did, 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 did not record the conversation. I don't know who's in charge of that, but... I'm going to find out and gonna, gonna sack stir- them. They're gonna, yeah, absolutely. They're going to get a stern, a stern talking to, if not just outright fired. Absolutely. Uh, but anyways, so we're doing this again. And because this, because right now you can hear my voice in your ears, everybody knows that it worked this time. Thankfully. <laughs> Glad to hear that. And, uh, <laughs> of course, I say that optimistically. I won't know but, until it actually it's over, but uh, optimistically I'm, 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 I'm saying that it worked. <laughs> well, let's hope none of this horror stuff comes into it and, uh, <laughs> and, and things going wrong and uh, we're not recording <laughs> and won't spin round either. <laughs> so, uh, so okay, so you're in a different time zone because uh, we, 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 uh, uh, both last time that we did this where it didn't record and also today, we, you know, we, of course, we have to do a little bit of uh, coordination because we're in two different time zones. So uh, what, uh, what part of the world are you in? I live in um, England, in Hertfordshire, near St Albans, and so it is 5 p.m. Uh, my time and 9 o'clock a.m. your time. 9 o'clock in the morning, absolutely. So yeah, I'm just starting with my day, and uh, and in your day, I imagine you guys are ready to to wrap it up, have a cocktail, watch some TV. Yes, and uh, go to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Now, but, uh, you're not originally from uh, England, are you? No, I, I grew up in Australia and um, I came to England when I was about 17 and so did all my sort of university uh, and uh, A-levels in England. Okay, and it, so is that what brought you to, to, to England was, uh, was school? Um, well, my parents came back. They were originally from England and oh. I sort of after um, 15 years in, in um, Australia, they decided that they wanted to come back. Okay. Well, what uh, what took them to Australia? Um, I think it was the £10 fare at that stage. 
<laughs> they, they, they were encouraging people to emigrate. So uh, I think that uh, we were part of that. But uh, they didn't take to it as much as I did because obviously I, I grew up and spent my whole life there and I love the outdoors and I love the sports and swimming, which uh, isn't so good here. <laughs> Hartfordshire, okay, which so, is so a county. Yeah, what was it like? That, so, so you talk a little bit about the the outdoors. What, what were some of the specifics about uh, about growing up in uh, in Australia that uh, that you remember? Particularly things that you know when you when you reflect on being a kid were just very influential in terms of how you entertained yourself, how you engaged yourself, and some of the just some of the uh, some of the unique elements of Australia. I think because we lived near the beach and the way things were in those days, we didn't have so many rules and regulations and we went out and played all day and we biked and we swam and we you know, sort of ran wild a bit. Uh, whereas now safety seems to be such uh, uh, a critical thing for parents that they don't mm-hmm. let them of, uh, they don't let children out of their sight for very long. So I was very lucky to have a great deal of freedom and, um, and of course, good weather and the sports and, uh, you know, going to the local football matches and things like that. So, yes, it, it was very enjoyable and casual, much more relaxed than perhaps it is here. And so with all of the, uh, the, the, that sort of robust outdoor activity, um, how in the world did you uh, end up uh, getting into into writing? I was always very bookish at the same time. So um, I love to read and um, that was one of my big interests. And I love history and I loved English and they were sort of my main subjects. And then when I came to England, that sort of completely changed. But... <laughs> 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 because of the way the school years were and, and I went straight into doing A-levels. But it was something which, I don't know, I'd, I'd always written short stories and ideas for novels and things, but I'd never actually put anything together for years and years. Do you remember, uh, so like as a kid, mm. uh, what, like, what, sort of, uh, what, what kind of books were you reading? Anything and everything. I think I sort of went through the whole library because at that stage there were no things such as e-books. <laughs> so it was, you know, you had to go to the library and uh, take out these uh, heavy terms. So I went through Barbara Cartland, Agatha Christie, Jean Plady, whatever I could find because the, the Stephen Kings and Clive Barkers and that of the world weren't uh, around at the time. And very much so with some of the older horror books. Um, I read Frankenstein and, and things like that, but it wasn't a, a huge interest of mine at that point, mm-hmm. mainly with boys. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but over the years, uh, and particularly sort of with coming to England and studying more and then going to university and, and then working, uh, because I was in jobs that were long hours and were very busy, the relaxation was very much just to, to read a book, you know, when you got a few minutes uh, or in your break and your lunch hour, etc., or lunch half an hour. For sure. So so when you think about uh, some of the books, that, uh, um, 
I'm I'm fixated. I'm definitely fixated on uh on, on the things that influenced you as a as a kid because I think I think partly because as a as you and as you and I are chatting right now, uh, you're 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 very you're very pleasant. You're very soft spoken. You're very uh, a, a lovely a, a lovely lady. So I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to connect how you how you became a, a horror author. So. <laughs> Well, it's, it, it's funny because whatever I write, it could start off as a chiclet, but when I write, it just gets darker and darker and darker. <laughs> and I do love to, um, I, you know, I, I love Murder, She Wrote and the occasional um, romantic soppy movie, but I do like very dark things. So sort of my favourite shows are things like Taboo and Peaky Blinders and films are like Gangs of New York and and horror, not so much. I prefer to read horror. <laughs> Otherwise, I sit on the couch with the magazine in front of me and that, that's not really very <laughs> So, so when you reflect on some of the books, uh, particularly the books that you read as a kid, uh, because I, I mean, for anybody, you know, so much of what uh, entertained us as a kid, what engaged us as a kid, it it, it very much, you know, um, it infect, affects and informs our our imagination and, and our sensibilities, and particularly if you know, if we grow up to become to become authors, then then I think a lot of the storytelling that that uh, that we like doing in some form or fashion is is very much informed by the stuff that that we liked when we when we were kids. So so when you think about the stuff that you read as a kid, can you see uh, some influences in your own writing from either a particular story, a particular book, uh, a particular author's voice, anything like that? I think because I read so widely and before I really started writing proper, I've written a lot of non-fiction because, you know, that's, I, I, I'm in consultancy and lecturing, etc. So really over the years before I, I got to writing Bellevue, it was really an absorption process of reading far more widely and particularly more in the horror genre and what I enjoyed reading. So I think that it, it has been, uh, that was my foundation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of the horror and very dark books were, and perhaps they weren't available in my local Australian library. <laughs> <laughs> quite small, um, whereas now you you have a access to a whole world of, of literature and we've had that for, you know, quite a number of years now. So it's been exposure to what is possible and just as much as I've been able to read wonderful books, so I've also looked at a lot of dross and things that, you know, after the third page or a couple of chapters and you think this is really not working because, you know, you've repeated yourself or things don't flow properly or mm. you, you've contradicted something. So that I think part of developing writing skills as well as practicing it, it's knowing not just what works, but what doesn't work as well. Absolutely, you know that that's a great point. Like I know for me, so, so when I was when I first like you know started to uh, endeavor to be a writer in, in a in a genuine way is when I it was my um, uh, it, it was my first year as a as a college student and um well I think even before that I think right before I started college is when I was 
when I first started, you know, toying with the idea of trying to write. But I have like a really clear memory of I was motivated to, to try to write a story. And and so I, I sat down with a with a with a pad of paper and a and a pencil, I'm sure, because <laughs> it was a, I, I didn't have a computer at that point. And so so I remember very clearly, I, I you know, I sat down with the idea. I want to write a story. And then just it was totally blank. Like I, I realized I, I have no idea. I don't even know what to do. I, how do you how do you how do you tell a story? How do you begin a story? And, and and I think I took for granted that I was like, okay, I know how to write. I know, I mean, I know, I know the alphabet. I know how to spell. How hard can it be to to, to write and tell a story? And and I was completely frozen. I realized I have no idea how to how to do this at all. So so I, I eventually would try. And you know, I, I imagine perhaps you had similar experience where those first attempts were kind of terrible. And so I was really motivated to 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 find somebody who could help teach me, you know, what I didn't know. So once I got into college, um, you know, I signed up for, uh, I signed up for a creative writing class and Gosh. the, the class, it wasn't, I, the, the teacher was very, very nice, but it wasn't a great class. Like I didn't, it wasn't, it, it wasn't very well structured. I didn't learn a lot, but at the very least I was writing every week. Like there'd be assignments. So even if it was terrible, I was doing the exercise of, of, of writing every week. So for me, the uh, the the big the the big breakthrough that I ultimately had, and uh, and so what you said is when you made me think about this, is when I find is when um a couple years in school is uh, I uh, well actually when I transferred to a to a university, and in the uh-huh. in the university, uh, the creative writing classes that I took there were more um, they were more like workshops. So we would write a story, and then we'd sit in a circle. Everybody would read your story maybe the night before. Uh, or if they were a bad student, they read it five minutes before class. But, you know, they read it before class. Everybody went around. They gave you feedback. And it was the first time I'd had that experience of, you know, getting feedback from, uh, you know, a group of peers. And then um, then be, being able to, to, you know, parse out, you know, the, the good feedback and, you know, put it into the story and things of that nature. But the but one of the big things I got from that experience was I, I, I realized I learned more from reading their story than I did from reading from from them giving me feedback on my story because because my right. story you know I'm, I'm I can't see the forest for the trees especially at that point <laughs> but when I read their stories I could see so clearly oh this doesn't work don't do that in fact it'd be better if you did this and then the second I had that thought I'd realize why am I not doing that I should do that that thing that I see in their story so so as you were saying sometimes you could read somebody else's story, and even if it's bad, and even if you realize I don't need to read more than three pages of this, there's actually some value to that in, in terms of figuring out what to do in your own writing. Very much so. And and unfortunately, I didn't go through the creative writing process, so I, I sort of had quite a lot of years where um, I was working in writing nonfiction, mm-hmm. but nature of what I was writing was very disciplined in terms of being able to um, sum up things and summarize Mm -hmm. and focus on what is important rather than giving lots of um, peripheral information (laughs) the word count but doesn't actually add anything to the document so I, I think that side of things helped me develop those skills although having said that when I first finished Bellevue it was twice as long (laughs) (laughs) I still had a lot to learn (laughs) 
<laughs> and I've been pruning it ever since, you know, every week. <laughs> Of like went back and okay cut cut five thousand words off here change that take this out um, <laughs> and, and and so whereas uh, I did join a writer's circle and there were a number of people there who were published and others who weren't but without exception it was that they all had written lots of different novels and mm. stories etc and most were sitting in bottom drawers and and they'd been successful with one or two others but. The bottom drawer um, manuscripts were their practice. Yeah. I just rewrote the same novel. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my practice. Um, so I didn't have lots of novels, although I've got loads of notes and, and lots of ideas for different storylines and, and novels, etc. Um, Bellevue was the first complete novel that I have written. Yeah, and I think I think you and I have that in common in that the idea of the idea of writing a book that I'll then just put in the drawer, I can't even imagine that because it's it's such it's such an investment of of, of time and, and effort to write a book. I you know I I wouldn't want to give up on it even even if it wasn't even if it wasn't worth publishing. I'll just keep working on this book until it is because starting over on a new book it's just so much work. And particularly because um, half of mine is set in the Victorian period. So to understand what went on then, um, and particularly in terms of, of the subject matter about lunatic asylums and satanic cults and murders and hangings, etc., I needed to do a lot of research, particularly on their dress, the way they spoke, mm -hmm. what was you know, I, I can't have an, an aristocrat in, in 1860 saying, hey, dude, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which, you know, sometimes some writers don't quite capture over the time period that they're supposedly writing in. And yeah. hopefully uh, I won't have, I, I will have got that right. <laughs> and, and also, too, again, when you're putting in that type of effort, not just the writing, but but the research, and and uh, e even if you enjoy the research, which I suspect you do, it's still a lot of work. You're still uh, gathering a lot of information, and then you're taking that information and, and you're synthesizing it into your story. By the time you finish that draft, there's 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 no way you want to put that on the bottom drawer because so much work went into that. That you know you're going to do you know, whatever whatever work is necessary. And so I suspect, as I'm thinking about. Because it's not uncommon, you know. I, I I think you and I both know writers who they, they they write a book, and for for whatever reason, maybe they couldn't get it published, or maybe they just decided when it was done that uh, you know they didn't like it. They they put it in the bottom drawer. But I just you know I I can't. I mean the the, the closest thing I have to a bottom drawer book, like I, the the very first novel I wrote, technically my unofficial first novel, it was essentially it became a bottom drawer book, but 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 under protest. Like I spent. At least a year, you know, uh, trying to get uh, trying to get it published, trying to find representation for it, um, and only I think at least a year, probably a little bit longer than that, and only when I couldn't when I couldn't get any traction on it that I decided to write a new novel. But even then, when I wrote what would become my official first novel, um, I went back to that first book and and, and um. And, and I mined it for, for, for anything that I could take out of it, anything that I could borrow from that first book to put in the new book. So, so it's, so it, the, the, you know, one of the, the, one of the main characters in my, in my first novel, who's one of the most popular characters, you know, I stole him from my first book 
and uh, <laughs> there's there's definitely storytelling elements that I in fact even even my my second novel I went back to that first book to see you know what what uh, you know just like a scavenger what can I take from this book so even in that way I couldn't just let that work you know fade away I still you know took what I could out of it um, and then you know put it into into my other books but again I, I kind of like you know your idea though which is I'll just write several drafts of this first book until <laughs> uh, until it works. Well, I I I was so fascinated by the sort of the location and the because it was based on uh, I was inspired by a real asylum being converted into luxury apartments. I had read about a, a case in the late 1800s where one of the inmates in the asylum had been murdered by her sister and so and, and i was fascinated by this so that's what i went and did more research on so it it it, it really inspired me to write it and and for whatever reason whereas i'd never bothered to start really before uh so i just kept on writing and and, and at the beginning i w wasn't even sure i'd have enough for a short story <laughs> <laughs> but you know hey uh, i'm staggered at uh, how it uh, came out and and i think one of the points that you made earlier where you said about sort of the research and synthesizing it into the story that that is so important because one thing I particularly dislike when I'm, I'm reading books is where you can see three or four pages and that's there is a research dump yes where they've obviously done some research on this subject and whether it's relevant to the plot or not they're going to put it in <laughs> uh, and so you're sort of reading it and you think well and you can actually skip over it sometimes uh -huh. and you need to read it so hopefully i've done it in a way where it is an integral part and and it doesn't be oh yeah she learned that little bit here and she <laughs> that page, you know she she could delete that but hopefully that that's not the case no absolutely yeah because it's it's uh i 100 agree with you it, it is important to you know no matter how much research you've done uh, as much as you can you know to, to let the research inform the story without the story becoming, you know, uh, just sort of a, a a research document. But by the same token, when, you, when you're telling the story, um, despite your best efforts, it's, it's not always easy to, to, to know, you know, um, is, is am I putting in too much information or or is this a good amount of information to give the reader the context and, and uh, uh, to inform, you know, the story itself? And um, and yes, yeah, so, you know some writers. Uh, you mentioned you know being in a writers group. Sometimes a writers group can help you with that. Um, certainly, depending on your process, uh, if you know if you're an author who works with with an editor, uh, an editor can be that second pair of eyes who can help you kind of uh, manage that. So so in your case, uh, you know, did you work with an editor? Did you have other people read it? Um, what was your strategy, or or did you just sort of self govern that? Because because I'm somebody who I in terms of developing my stories, whether it's out of stubbornness or, or, or whatever, like I, I, I basically write my, I, I, I basically, I, I almost write in a vacuum. I, I get very little feedback by design because I'm, I'm very comfortable. I'm very comfortable with the idea that, uh, that I'll know when a story's working and, and, you know, when it's not, I mean, that's not always true, but I, but I feel that way. But, you know, a, a good editor or just somebody 
some somebody outside of your own head um, can absolutely help with that. So, so in your case, particularly with 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 Bellevue, you know, did you have somebody like that, an editor, an editor or, or otherwise, that helped you, you know, figure out uh, when the book was working, when there was enough research or too too much research or anything of that nature? I didn't while I was writing it, simply because it is a very complex plot because it's about two time periods it's about the connections between the different characters and time periods and how everything pans out so to sort of give things out halfway when I hadn't quite got it in my head as to how this direction was going to go Mm -hmm. would have been not productive however once it was finished and I did start sending it out I was very lucky okay I did get a lot of rejects <laughs> but a lot of people said actually it's, it, it's very good but you need to do this so I then you know went back and did some pruning and and did uh, quite a, a lot of rewriting then when I joined the writer circle that and, and again that was where I read out various chapters mm-hmm. and we had a uh, an online forum where we could post things and, and get feedback as well. But I was, I was lucky enough with both my agent, Italia Gandolfo, who is based in America, who is brilliant. Um, she edited or she had somebody edit the mm-hmm. book with me. So we went through that process. And then with Crystal Lake Publishing, they also <laughs> edited it well. So I think... It, it has been probably edited to within its life <laughs> in terms of um, it is very tight now. Mm. I don't think there is too much that people could say was superfluous because it, it, it has been rewritten and the plot has been worked out and the complexity has been worked out and the logical progressions have been worked out. So very much, uh, and from the reviews I've had so far, it doesn't appear that there are any issues on that front. Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. So so, so you talked a little bit about uh, the book being, um, or, or the story, you know, being, uh, being, being, you know, being complex, um, which, which, for, which for me is a good thing. Like I, I love, I love getting into a story, uh, whether it's a book or a movie or a TV show. I love getting into a story where it feels like, you know, there's there's a certain mystery or complexity, or that um, that you know, there's there's a lot of things going on, a lot of layers. But it, but it's it's a particularly great experience when when I recognize whether it's an author that I know or it's an author that I'm reading for the first time. Usually. It could be within a couple of pages. I can just recognize, okay, I, I, I'm in good hands. I could tell this author knows what they're doing, and so I can let myself kind of get lost in this complexity and know that, you know, I'm, you know, like as a, as a story, I'm not going to get lost. I'm not going to, you know, it, it, it's going to no. pay off. Things are going to connect. It's one of my favorite experiences as a reader, um, and so, so particularly as as an author, as much as I can, I like to try to create that experience for a reader so so i i enjoy telling stories that are a lot of layers maybe some complexities um you know uh, planting a seed in, in chapter three that's going to pay off in chapter 47 <laughs> you know and so 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 for my purposes i i definitely like to outline the story and um 
Ebola, generally speaking, I might I might write one or two chapters just to get an idea of is this a story that's worth telling? Do I have anything to, to say here? But if I've written, you know, maybe two, three chapters and I feel like, okay, I think there's something here, then I'll set those chapters aside and then I might spend a week or two just trying to outline it. Just okay, so so if I started here, you know, what's gonna happen? What what to what what might the ending be? Even if the ending changes by the time I get there, try to get I try to get myself some type of a finish line that I can start outlining towards, and then over time, you know, months or years, that outline becomes almost like a jigsaw puzzle where I can you know move stuff around, move chapter thirty-two that makes more sense as chapter twenty-one now, or this scene that I had outlined in chapter seven that needs to come earlier or later or doesn't work anymore, and so so for me, I use that outline as a way to to help. Uh, manage and, and structure those complexities so by the time it becomes a, a, for, a fully formed book and somebody reads it you know they you know they're, they're getting a full experience that um, uh, that make by the time they get from the beginning to the end the story makes sense they've enjoyed it but they've also enjoyed the experience of the of the complexity and the layers so so that's just my long long-winded way of asking you how do you organize your stories First, I have to say that that although it is complex, hopefully it is not for the reader. Yeah. So that they were saying they have to be on board and take the story as it comes, mm-hmm. you know, the suspension of disbelief. So it doesn't seem totally unrealistic, even though it is a, a, a paranormal story. But also, it can't be confusing and it can't be overcomplicated, mm-hmm. so that they they get lost halfway through. Yeah. So I think that that is something which is is very important. And I do um, I have a software program which simply just enabled me to put characters in certain places, locations in certain places, chapters. And uh, it, it was a good organization tool, which uh, which worked for me. I also like to do lots of tables and plot lines mm-hmm. and, and so that I can keep the, the connections going. And, and some of the connections really didn't appear until I was almost like three quarters of the way through the book because I was writing one of the present day characters. And I thought, oh, well, maybe this could be the linkage in her background, in her past, to this character in the Victorian time. And so things sort of developed and came out. And also it very much depended on who the characters were. The characters themselves seemed to detach themselves from my imagination and and became their own authors because of their (laughs) voice of their character and their personality and and how they would behave in various circumstances. So a number of uh, plot lines and actions developed simply because of the character and what they would do and how they would behave. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. You say that, and I I, I completely recognize that idea of, you know, you created a character out of your imagination uh, and, and and you know you think that you know who the character is, but once they once they come alive on the page, it, it's as if they develop their own personality, and you're just following their lead. That makes sense to me, but I can imagine somebody listening to this thinking, "Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. You were the one writing it." 
hell? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've absolutely had that experience, you know, and, and I've had other authors. I've talked to other authors who've who've had that experience where, you know, the, the writer, they, they put them on the page and they it, some somehow or another, all of a sudden their voice sounds different than it was in their head on the page. And then you just start writing to, to that voice or that action or you're writing a scene where, you know, you're you think that, you know, five sentences ahead where the scene's going to go and the character does something completely different. And, and it's your fingers. You're doing the typing. And yet it feels like they made a decision on completely on their own and it just makes sense and you go with it. Well, I suppose for people that don't write, it's similar to those that get completely caught up in TV shows and films where they almost believe that the character, the person playing the character is actually the character and that the what the character says and does and what he works how he behaves has to be within a certain parameter Mm -hmm. so that if say J.R. Ewing suddenly became gay and started um, being very nice to everybody they would say oh no that's that you know and and, and dressing (laughs) up people would say oh no that, that that's nothing like the character no that's not realistic my willing suspension of disbelief has disappeared Mm -hmm. you know and so you expect you know, J.R. Ewing, if, if people are that old to remember, <laughs> um, to, to behave in a certain way. Absolutely. You also mentioned um, uh, that you work with a particular software that helps you organize, which um, it, 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 sounds, it sounds great. And I know that there's different writing softwares uh, available that, that kind of help with that. Um, I, I've toyed with a couple, but uh, ultimately I, I, I've kind of developed my own system for organization that I, I could probably, I think the main reason I'm asking is I could probably use some help from from some outside software. So so what's the software that you use? Called Write It Now. It, it's an English-based one. Okay. It, not one of the big, large ones. I did, you know, sort of look through a, a number of them and it just suited me because really I tend to do most of that side of the work in the beginning stages. Mm-hmm. So it's where I'm sort of looking at the character, the names and the locations. So that's all there. And then when I get to a certain point in the chapters, so I then convert it to Word mm-hmm. and I, I finish off and expand in that okay. way. So, so, it's, it's, so you can organize your book in there, but you also write chapters in, within the software? You can write chapters within in the software as well, and okay. it will give you a stage as well, so you can see what's in the different chapters and the plot points, etc. And there's there's a number of different um, categories that you can choose as well, and you can do sub uh, sub chapters, and you can uh, talk about it, every character, every event, every location, every connection. You can do family trees. It, it, it helps give you a, a firm foundation so that when I am writing the latter part in Word, if I need to go back and check something, it, it's there on the other screen in my uh, writing software. That's fantastic. What's that called again? Write it now? Oh, yes. Okay. And uh, well, 
I'll have to see if that's available to me because that sounds really great. Because a lot of the th- a lot of the things that you're explaining, um, I like I have my own sort of do-it-yourself version of it, but I but I but I feel like this offer would actually be uh, more more efficient. Like so, like with the book that I'm currently working on, I I created a table where where I'm I'm keeping track of the characters and. Uh, you know who they are a little bit about uh, some just a few bullet points about just the the important elements about the the character you know for the book and you know I try to notate okay what what's the first chapter you know where we meet this where we meet this character just for my own just for my own frame of reference but um but it but I feel I I'm I'm, I'm certain in fact that uh, a piece of software like that would actually be a lot more helpful than than me uh, doing my best effort to, to to keep track of that myself because it, it really is tricky where you know especially the further you get into a book like at this point with my current book I'm um somewhere in the area of you know 70,000 words into it um you know 35 36 chapters into it and I'm at the point now where I'll be writing a chapter and then as I start to maybe get into a particular scene or maybe a couple of characters are having a conversation and then I have to stop and think. Okay, have they? They don't. They said. <laughs> have, have they done this before? Would this character know this information before he said this? Would he have learned this before? And then I go back into my outline to try to see. You know, is was there any point where, where he would have been introduced to this information? Like, in fact, I literally just the other day I was writing a conversation. And I realized, okay, the thing that the character was about to say, I don't know if he would even know this information. So I need to go back and see if he would have been introduced to this information. Um, but then it was sort of me going through my outline and then just trying to find a, a particular chapter where he might have learned it then going into that chapter. And, and, and you know, and it, and it was it didn't feel like I eventually figured it out, but it didn't feel very efficient. I felt like there's got to be a, a better way. Well- well, this software is very good because now it also has um, like a, a visual board, so you can have like post-it notes, and you can you can cut it in a number of different ways. So you could do it by character or by uh, chapter and subchapter, etc., or location, so that you can put little like post-it notes, mm-hmm. you know, post-it notes, and you can give as much or as little detail as you want. So it's it's something that it just helps you organize because yeah. particularly in a in a writing a novel and and I don't know how difficult people realize this can be you have so many different things to remember you know <laughs> have straight hair does he have brown hair is he ginger what color eyes does he have you know what what weight how tall and and all of these things you know, sometimes you get further down the line and, and you write something that completely contradicts what you said mm-hmm. in the first or second chapter. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I've definitely done that before. And, you know, for, you know, best case scenario, you know, you or somebody else catches it. But uh, but occasionally, you know, uh, a, a draft of a book can go through everybody and there there can just be the the, the one detail that got past everybody's eyes and then you know one of your readers will will see it and say uh huh oh i think there's a whole coterie of amazon reviewers that (laughs) have have these sort of like phds in 
picking, uh, you know, problems in in novels, <laughs> where, where they will come up with something that is so minor, but to them it's very important because oh, in in eighteen sixty eight they didn't say this, or they. <laughs> And, and in fact, this was not on Amazon. This was, I joined an online feedback group where people would review your work. Uh-huh. And I had done an awful lot of research. And, and this lady got, an American lady, got very irate with me because, and, and they're, they're poor Irish in, the, um, in Bellevue. And I'd used some terms that the old lady in in Bellevue uses and she said no that is not an Irish term it is a <laughs> but I couldn't send her the evidence uh, <laughs> and I said well actually I had checked this but but and but this could mean the difference between you know a five star and a one star because mm-hmm. people sometimes do get very hit up about you know what they are expecting in your book and 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 what is acceptable to them and and so you know we've got the ordeal by reviewer to come mm-hmm. you know <laughs> absolutely yeah and again, and and you mentioned and you you mentioned uh, uh you know, reviews particularly amazon reviews i think that's another thing where uh, if you if if you're not an author, if you've never published, if uh, if you've never had a, a book on Amazon, then it's easy for you to take for granted how influential those reviews are. Like I, I think for just a general customer, uh, whether they're buying a book or you know anything else, you know they, uh, you know, I you know they they know that they, they they know that reviews exist, and sometimes they may or may not write a review. But particularly as as an author, you you realize very quickly these reviews are very influential. They're very important. You know, a, a, an Amazon review, it's it's like currency to an author. It's like, you know a, a good review can can be can have a, a almost almost monetary value, and a bad review can can you know have a, the the same impact but in in the wrong direction. So you know, so somebody as you mentioned, you know. Maybe that maybe they knock a star off because oh she she used a a phrase that's that's Scottish and, it, and it's not Irish so I'm gonna knock a star off without realizing, you know, that's that's gonna have a much bigger impact than they than they probably realize. Well, it makes a huge impact if you don't have many reviews. That's the other part of it too, yeah. If I'm J.K. Rowling or Diana Gabaldon, then you know a couple of thousand one star reviews doesn't mean very much at all because you've literally got hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. or tens of thousands. But for if, if you've only got a few, people will then go and look at your score and think, well, I'm not going to touch that because it's very low. And even worse, if one, the reason, and, and, and so far I haven't experienced this, but I have seen it from a lot of books that I've looked at, is that the one star is given because there was a delay in delivery or, or the book arrived damaged. Mm-hmm. And you think, but that's nothing to do with the quality of the content of the book. <laughs> what, you know, if, if that's the case, then mark the Amazon or the seller down, you know, if, if it's not Amazon. It, mm-hmm. and, and then you also have others that give it one star and say, oh, this is a brilliant book. And they obviously... <laughs> 
don't understand that it's the one star is actually Crapsville and, and five star is what is a brilliant book because they just haven't read the way things go. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the, uh, the, the yeah, the re- reviews are, it's tough because, you know, they're, they're, they're extremely valuable. Um, and certainly, you know, I, you, it, it almost sounds counterintuitive, but I know for me, I wouldn't necessarily want to have a solid wall of five star reviews. If it was genuine, I mean that, that that would be great. But by the same token, I think I think uh, readers, you know, they, they, they would think that was suspicious if if you only had you know five stars top well, to bottom. So I don't mind a mixture. But by the same token, you know, um, if as you say, you know, somebody liked the book. But they gave it one. Yeah. They didn't give it one star. They just didn't realize they were meant to mark the stars appropriately. Just little things like that can have an effect. But I think it also depends on reading the reviews that too, as yeah. well, because that will give you a better understanding of why the score has been given. And and often you you can see on Amazon that very bad books get a lot of five star reviews, mm-hmm. but when Interesting when you read the one and two stars that you actually get a more complete picture of what the book is like and and whether you would then want to read it or not. Yeah, and, and, and you know something about uh, uh, something that's uh, interesting about Amazon that um, I, I I think that they might be changing their policy potentially, but uh, for the last several years, uh, Amazon would not. They, they, they would not accept reviews from anybody that was even in the periphery of your of your social media circle so so like well it's, so initially if um if for example you know uh let's say you know i put my book out and then you know my mom reads it and she wants to leave me an amazon review so she leaves a review um because we have the same last name Amazon flags that review and they take it down. So even though it's a genuine I, review, you know, um, and I that with with Power, which was published in December, and I actually wrote to Amazon mm-hmm. because a lot of people who I knew had bought the book and had actually bought it as yeah. well, and wrote and and the, none of the reviews showed up. And then they just sort of sent me this thing saying, "Well, you know, this is our decision," sort yeah. of thing, and. And yeah. also, when I read the criteria for bloggers and reviewers as well, a lot of them say they won't post on Amazon. They'll post yeah. Goodreads and Bitsy and everywhere else, but and on their websites, but not on Amazon because of that. Yeah, yeah, because the other thing too, so with Amazon, okay, so like maybe, maybe I could kind of sort of like, okay, if, if they don't, if they're, if they're assuming there might be a conflict of interest, okay, that's fine. But then... You know, I, I did some more research because, I, like, uh, I would say maybe, uh, maybe about a year ago, um, there was a, a a book blogger, just you know, somebody who I have no relationship with, somebody who I've never met in real life. Um, uh, they're on the complete opposite side of the country, but they read my book and um, and they loved it, and so they, I, I think they they found me on maybe like Instagram. So, so we, so we ended up communicating on, on Instagram because they left my book and then they wrote a review for the book and then they said they put an Amazon review 
but then when I when I looked for the review, it wasn't on Amazon. And so, um, I, uh, when I, so when I, when I looked into it more, I found out that Amazon had sort of widened its its net to where it's not just about you know, is this person, uh, you know, a member of your family, but do you have any connection? whatsoever yes. so now this person who i don't know in real life they they found the book totally on their own they wanted to write a review now because they connected with me on instagram we now technically have this social media connection that amazon's algorithms somehow or another has decided this person's not biased they can't post a review so they so their review didn't turn up um but the reason i think that's changing was in the last uh in the last couple of months um i've noticed uh, particularly for my first book, because I was my my first book had, I want to say, I want to say somewhere in the area of maybe, maybe maybe ninety eight reviews. Like I can never quite break hundred reviews with it, um, but in the last couple of weeks and months, I've noticed that the reviews were steadily growing, and so I thought, oh, that, so I thought that's great. So I, I got a new review. So I go and and I, and I filter to see the most recent review, but the most recent review is you know like three years old. So I'm thinking, how nice. do I get more reviews if the most so recent? <laughs> yeah, it's, so I think Amazon maybe it's just um, retroactively loosening up the guidelines and and letting back some of those reviews that they previously had had kept out is the only thing that I can figure. Well, I I, I think they ought to because on the others on on their they have this Amazon Prime and Vine program. Uh-huh. So if I pay my money, I can get them to approach reviewers uh-huh. and review my book. But I've got to pay money. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, because I'm not with a, a, a big five publisher, the yeah. type of money they want uh, is, is just not possible. So, and okay, while you're not guaranteed to get a uh, four or five star review. The fact is, these are guaranteed reviews. Yeah. yeah. So it, you can buy thousand reviews if you want. Yeah. Or ten thousand, or however however large your budget is. And again, the, the reviews are so valuable, even if it's not glowing, even if it's not five stars. Just the 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 like yeah, a lot of readers, and and I've I've been guilty of this myself, but you know. They just want to see, does this book have a lot of reviews? Um, And, you know, if it has a lot of reviews, then, you know, subconsciously or otherwise, it feels like, okay, well, this this is a this is a legitimate book worth my time because a lot of other people have taken the time to read it. And, you know, that they they might look at the numbers and they might look to see how many different starred reviews it, it got. But, you know, like if you, you know, if somebody has a book that has four reviews, and all four of those reviews are five stars, glowing <laughs> reviews. Somebody, somebody might take that book less seriously than a book that has a thousand reviews. They average three stars, but it's got a thousand. That somehow feels like, okay, I'll read that book instead. But I don't want five, uh, four or five one star. Oh my goodness, that's it, uh, that's the. I've definitely had. I, I don't. I don't remember which uh, which of my books it was, but I think it was. You know, the, the reviews were trickling in slowly, but because they were coming in slowly, I think there was, you know, uh, maybe like a nice five-star review, 
Uh, I think there was a, a, a one-star review where somebody just was not happy with this book. But until those other reviews come in, if you've only got two or three reviews and one of those is a one-star review, that's going to throw off your average in, in a big <laughs> in a big way. And so if people, if a reader is not going to take the time to, to do the math and figure out, well, okay, I mean, they've got two five-star reviews, one one-star review. So, you know, um, it, it's, it's probably not as bad as, as, as the average looks. It, it, it could potentially affect, you know, the, the, the difference between somebody reading it or not, somebody buying it or not. I, I am actually prepared simply because a lot of what I write is quite controversial mm -hmm. and it is hard and, and there is sexual content and there is satanic influences and there's profanity and violence. Yeah. So <laughs> an yeah. all-round book. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah and, no, that's a great point because cause on the one hand... Um, a lot of people are very, very offended by it yeah. and... and, and I, I'm really into Outlander, and out of interest, I was looking at, at some of the reviews, and some of the, and, and there are a lot of one and two stars, although as a percentage, it's fairly minimal compared to mm -hmm. the, all of them, but uh, almost without exception, apart from the books being damaged, etc., it is all, oh, well, they don't like the way the male Jamie has acted with um, with the female character. But then they seem to forget that this is 18th century Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Feminism wasn't even a word then. <laughs> so judging things and, and how things were, and they didn't like the violence and they didn't like the sex and they didn't mm -hmm. like that. So I think it's also about being realistic as to actually what's in the book so that the reader's expectation yeah. fits with, uh, because if it's very different and very more graphic or not graphic enough for some people, then they will uh, score their disappointment heavily. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and, and the audience... The, the the audience for the book makes a big difference. You know who like who the appropriate audience is. Who's gonna who's gonna you know uh, love uh, you know love the story that you're telling. So with, with my first book, and it sounds like similar to to your book Bellevue. My my first book, you know there were there was violence and profanity and sexual content, and so so similar to you, I was I was bracing myself for you know some 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 backlash or just brace myself for for negative re reviews um and so i was pleasantly surprised that the, the first the first several group of reviews were very positive very glowing and then only later did the reviews that i start to get some of the more negative reviews that i thought i was going to get all along and what i think happened and i have no way of knowing this for certain but what i'm confident happened was because it was my first novel I was an unknown writer. I wasn't. I was by no means a mainstream writer, so so the people who found my book were ultimately people who were who were looking for for that type of book. So I, it, it was the appropriate audience for it. As my book started to do well, get reviews, it started to go up on the bestseller list. It started to to gain notoriety. It started to open up to a wider audience. So now more people were reading it that maybe weren't necessarily looking for that book because oh, this book is doing well. I read about this book. Oh, this book! I saw this on the on the on the, the Amazon's bestseller list. Let me give it a try, and then they read it and they hate it because they're not the right audience for it. Um, and so, and so, so I, I think that's what happened. It was it was almost this sort of weird backwards thing of like 
the more successful the book was, the the more the more open you are to negative reviews because a wider audience is is willing to give it a try, only to find out that not only don't they like it, they you know they don't like it enough that they want to give you a, a one star review or a two star review. One of my one of my I I like for my first book I have a one star review that is I, I did a word count on it. I think it's almost eight hundred words where they they wow. wrote just almost you know they they hated it so much that they they practically wrote a, an essay on on uh, on Amazon which at the time you know when when I first saw the review you know it, it was heartbreaking you don't want to see anybody hate your book that much but over the years yeah. I, I've sort of I, I kind of wear it as a, as a as a badge of honor now it doesn't uh, doesn't bother me so much. Well, that's another skill I've got to learn. <laughs> Grow a thick skin. Because <laughs> I read all of my reviews at the moment and I, and I sort of do through them. Uh, and it's funny because um, one of the reviews, and they did give me four stars. Was it four or five stars? But they said that in the present day, I had overused the word lunatic. And given these were university students, they knew not to use such a word today. So, of course, I went straight back to word and, and, and word search. And I'd only used it four times. <laughs> and two of those were in somebody's head. You know, it was, they were and they were thinking about the, the lunatic asylum. Uh-huh. And they calling somebody that offends me. And the other two users were in the past uh, by the present-day character, to other present-day characters, sort of saying, and I thought, is four overuse in, <laughs> in like, 60,000 words? <laughs> <laughs> so it's it, like, oh, and I was very tempted to write to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because that's the other thing is I think Amazon reviews – and Amazon reviewers in general, I think we can almost, and again, I'll, I'll, I, I've, I've been guilty of this as well, but we can almost regard them as, as a monolith, as just as this one single mind all working collectively <laughs> to write these reviews. But we forget these are, it's a, it's a collection of individuals with their own point of view, their their, their own uh, sensibilities writing these these unique reviews. And so I, like I, I had a reviewer, I think they left me a Goodreads review um, where, again, talking about my first book, where they, I think it was a two-star, if it wasn't a one-star review, it was a two-star review. They they weren't happy with the book, but they they said the book, they, they described it as a, as a train wreck. And then they went on to describe, <laughs> you know, just like the violence in the book and, um, and you know, like the, like the blood and the gore. And it was like, you know, it was difficult for them to read. And so I realized, okay, they're using this phrase, this book is a train wreck, to mean a train wreck is a, is a devastating event. But that phrase, train wreck, means that it's, it's you know, that, uh, we, uh, well, myself and I think most people would take that term to mean, oh, this book is a disaster, it's written poorly, it's not well thought out. Um, and so they use that term, this is a train wreck. But then as I read the review, they clearly were using it, a train wreck is violent and this book is violent this book is a train wreck so even just that one reviewer using that phrase incorrectly <laughs> could influence somebody yes. who sees their review oh yes because if i read that like you say i'd think oh it's a complete disaster with no redeeming features but obviously it's just one aspect mm-hmm. and so you know 
but people don't always have the time to read more reviews or yeah. whatever. They'll, they'll, something will capture their attention. Oh, train wreck! I'll look at that one. Yeah, and. and <laughs> Oh, it, it 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 is very life is difficult. Isn't it? <laughs> you, know, you know, one thing that I did with my uh, with my most recent book, and then you know, perhaps you can uh, borrow this for yourself, is um, it my it's I got um, I don't want to say several bad reviews, but it got a decent number of you know one and two star reviews, and uh, and the reviewers were you know very descriptive and, and you know the things that, that they didn't like about the book and i found as i was reading some of these one and two star reviews um i was probably more amused by them than i than i had any right to be so then what i started doing is uh, i went out to my social media and I, I started quoting the the one and two star reviews uh basically for 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 the for the effect of you know i'm going to take the things that they, they, they didn't like about the book where you know like one like one of the reviews was like, you know, uh, this book reads too much like erotica and, and I don't like erotica, you know, one star. So I just quote there and, and I, and you know, I quote the review as well as the star. So I say, here's a one star review. This book, you know, reads too much like erotica or whatever. And I, and I would just, um, just quote the thing that they, they, they didn't like. Quote of other people who want erotica. Absolutely. It's like, yeah. And I put them on my social media. Of you, know, here's a one star review. Here's a two star review, and, and and I quote them honestly. You know, here's what they said, with the idea being, you know, I think more people are going to actually be interested based on the things that they didn't like, than than on me trying to sell them on you know other aspects of the book. Well, it's funny because I've just released um, an excerpt, the prologue and the first two chapters on my website, and I noticed this on another horror writers uh, who are very successful, Preston and Charles, their website, and it says, warning, this novel contains um, profanity, uh, sexual um, activity and violence. So, so I've put that on now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I said, oh, yeah, come and get it. <laughs> oh, that's smart. That's smart. Because, again, you know, the, the second I read that, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm that much more inclined to read that book. <laughs> and I put it on my social media as well. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, well, okay, so 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 we've been talking for a little while now. Before we get into the direction of wrapping up, um, uh-huh. we, we've talked a little bit around what Bellevue is about. Uh, but go ahead and talk about specifically what the book is about. Well, the tagline is jealousy, betrayal, murder, and a hunger for vengeance that spans the centuries. So basically it's set in two time periods. There's Alex Palmer, who's a history student, and he's thrilled when his girlfriend buys an apartment in Bellevue that is now luxury apartments. And when she moves in, so things start to change and the the world as he saw it suddenly morphs into something quite different in terms of uh, the characters and the threats that she's given and some of the things that happen to Claire. And in the Victorian times, it's about two sisters, uh, one who is younger and more innocent, another who hides a deep, dark secret. And so uh, the one that hides a deep, dark secret uh, is a bit of a nasty character and she gets her sister um, admitted to Bellevue and then things all go horribly wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And 
it's um, yeah, it's very hard hitting. It's uh, paranormal, and it's about revenge and vengeance, and uh, it's dark. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. And again, this comes out on uh, August twenty fifth, uh, yes. which um, as, as of this recording, uh, that would be uh, uh, what about just a little Tuesday. less than two, less than two weeks, right? Um, by the time people hear this, it'll probably be, you know, close to a, a week away from release. Or again, by the time somebody listens to it, the book might might be available. So in, in that in that case, uh, if, if, we've, if, if you're listening to this and we're past August 25th, 2020 on the calendar, uh, go to I Amazon think, and buy this book. I think you said the 29th it was going to be on. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we can we can absolutely put this up, put this up on uh, August 29th. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did take that before our interview. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 100%. So yeah, so in that case, um, and yeah, yeah. This so 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 if you're listening to this, the book is absolutely available, which means <laughs> which means go buy the book on Amazon and 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 leave a glowing five star review. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, one more one more thing I'd like to talk about too. Uh, a little bit earlier in our conversation. You know, you uh, you made a, a reference to you to your literary agent, and so certainly a, a lot of people that are that uh, listen to this podcast and will be listening to this conversation, uh, they uh, they're going to be authors and in various points in their career they might be aspiring authors, uh, they might be authors who've written a book and is looking for representation, and um, you know anybody who's who's looked to acquire a literary agent knows that it's a it's a very challenging journey. So, yes. so because you've, you've come out on the other side of it, you know, with a literary agent, um, uh, talk a little bit about how you uh, ultimately acquired your agent and just any, any advice you can give authors uh, in that respect. Well, I think the first thing is that you have to do your homework because there are a huge number of agents and they all don't represent the same type of book. Mm-hmm. There are some that specialize in non-fiction there are others that specialize in literary fiction there are others that prefer horror and others that only really look at romance or history etc so depending on what your book is about and where uh, you see it being published so Mm -hmm. uh, you can approach these people and and look at what they require Mm -hmm. so do, do they want you to send the full novel straight off or do they want you to send one chapter or three chapters? Do they want you to tell them why they are the best person to represent you? There are so many hoops to jump through. Mm-hmm. And the minute and because they are literally inundated with people, if you don't jump through one of the, those hoops, then you're just in the um, reject tray. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough, my agent is based in America, I'm based in the UK, and my publisher is based in South Africa. So you can do it wholly remotely, (laughs) so you're you're not bound by the location that you live in, unless probably it's a very locally uh, based book that wouldn't have much interest outside of your locality. Absolutely. And so how, how did you and your agent get together? 
it was a matter of, of writing to her and telling her who I was and personalizing it and giving her an example of my work. And uh, she wrote back and thought I had potential and uh, took me on. But I did get a lot of rejects. <laughs> I, I could paper a mansion with the amount of rejects over the years. And, and I did put the book away for a few years. But I believed in it, and that's the important thing. I had a passion for it, and I believed in it. And I think that those are two things that a writer needs to be able to persevere. And you may be lucky, you might rattle off something in three weeks and suddenly pick up a, a top five um, publisher and uh, an A-list agent and get a million pound advance, but you may not because there's only a couple of those each mm -hmm. year. And there are, I'm absolutely staggered at the number of books I think it's something like 400 and don't quote me on this, but I think it's something like 450,000 traditionally published book. But then I think it goes into the millions for self-published books. Absolutely. Yeah. Each, so, you know, the competition is just so intense. So yeah, you've got to uh, sort of short of skiing uh, down Everest naked with a rose up your nose. You've got to find something. <laughs> some way of, of you know, sort of uh, making yourself um, different and noticed. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think whether you're, uh, you know, whether you're, whether you're self-publishing, whether you're publishing traditionally, whether you have uh, a literary agent who's, who's working on your behalf, or whether you're, you know, you're navigating it um, on your own, uh, ultimately, it's, 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 um, it can be tricky and challenging um, either way, um, but at, at, at the core of it, as you say, uh, as long as uh, as long as you've written a, a good book and, and you believe in it and you're confident in it, that's perhaps the the, the best thing you have going for you to, to help you know uh, to, 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 to help kind of kind of work through the terrain of rejections. Uh, and potentially bad reviews, or sometimes the the only thing worse than a bad review is is, is no review because you can't get anybody to, <laughs> to 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 pay attention to your book. But as long as you have that 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 confidence that you know this is a good book, I know it's a good book, I believe in this book, then then for you it's not going to matter how many years it takes that you're you know you're going to keep pushing forward until. You know, until until you get some traction, until you you get some reviews, or you get an agent, or you get published, or, or whatever. But if if you don't have that 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 self belief in the book, then you know it, it probably you know it probably won't ultimately go anywhere. And I would say for self published authors or people that are self who are wanting to self publish, I'm lucky enough to have an excellent agent and publisher but what did surprise me was the amount of work it takes mm -hmm. on the market side and and it's something that even if you haven't even started writing your book or you're only a little way through it I would start on on the social media side mm -hmm. and write short stories try and get little things published while you're 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 writing your magnum opus and it, it's so important to, to start getting all the connections and, and look at who you know and, and so that you have people that will be interested Absolutely. in your book. Yeah. Because your mother can 
buy so many copies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like ha having a social media platform that goes beyond just like, you know, your your social circle, but some kind of a platform that um, that essentially brands you as either a, as an author or as somebody that, that people will connect you with with, with books and writing, yeah, even if it's just, even, you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, maybe, maybe you, you start writing book reviews, you start a blog, you start writing book reviews, you read other people's books, and you get on social media, and you're, you're now just creating a platform where now your name is now associated with, with this community of, of, of authors and writers, then when, the, then when it's time for you to put your own book out there, it's not going to be a leap for somebody to, to make that connection of, of, of you being, being an author. And, and I would definitely recommend, you know, the 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 new author um, before they've they're published, going on Goodreads, and as you yes. say, reading, reviewing, joining, you know, if if you're into horror, horror aficionados, or or whatever the group is, and becoming voluble and 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 participating. Absolutely. And that get your profile higher. Yeah, no, no, that's a great point. Goodreads is great. I, I'm a. Uh, a chances are if somebody's listening to this and, and they and they like books they probably know about goodreads but for anybody who's not of good who've not you haven't heard of goodreads it, it's a social media platform it's uh, in terms of its user interface it's it's very similar to, to facebook but it's specific to um book book lovers and readers um and authors and it's a place where readers can uh, uh communicate and connect with each other it's also a place where where authors can connect and communicate with with readers, you can leave book reviews. Um, you can you can directly uh, uh, you know write to an author, especially if they're active on, on on Goodreads. They can they can respond to you. There's also um, just you know book give, book giveaways on, on Goodreads, which are which are great. Especially you know you can just it's they're free. You know you go on there. There's books in every genre, every category. It's free. You just throw your name into it. It's it's basically a lottery, but you know just throw your name in there. And you, you might get yourself a free book. And as as an author, I've um, I've created book giveaways, which are they've been extremely valuable because because all of a sudden you know uh, maybe maybe it's uh you know one maybe I make it available to three people. Now I'm giving away three books, but you know uh, upwards of a thousand people put their names into into the giveaway. Um, that all of a sudden now my book is now in the consciousness of a thousand readers and it cost me, you know, three copies of my book, which is, you know, ultimately in the big picture, nothing. <laughs> I'm going to pick your brain when we finish. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be happy to help with that. So, so anyway, this, this, this is great stuff. Uh, C.S. Celine, before we wrap up for good, uh, any, oh. for, for anybody who wants to learn more about you, they want to learn, learn more about your writing or they just want to connect with you. Uh, what what's the best way for them to to find information about you? Well, my website is www.csaline.com, and on there are is all the information. There's my blog. There's about me. There's my events that I'm having for the launch, my books, and also all my social media links as well. And there's an excerpt. So if you're interested in looking at what Bellevue is actually about, you can read the first, the prologue and the first two chapters and see whether it's something that you would be interested in reading more of. Oh, that's great. And that's on your website? Yes, it is. That's fantastic. So, yeah, and that's great. So that was a csaline.com? Yes. So, yeah, so that's fantastic. Go to csaline.com. 
uh, you know, read the excerpt. Uh, I have no doubt that you're going to enjoy it and you're going to go buy it on Amazon anyway. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a great option if you're even a little bit unsure if you're ready to, to spend a few bucks. Uh, I promise you, you, you it's, you'll be glad you did. But if, if you want the extra insurance, go to CSAlene.com, read the excerpt, uh, and, and then go, go buy the book. You won't be disappointed. Uh, Bellevue, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. No, it's my pleasure. It's absolutely my pleasure having you. Uh, and for everybody listening, thank you guys for taking the time to download listening to this episode. And until next time, I will see you on the other side. Uh, well, that was great. And you know what? Probably better than the first one anyway. It's a good thing that we did it yeah. again. <laughs> Have you pressed the record button?